This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts podcast. I am your host, Ben Burnett. Joining me, as always, Lewis Ezekiel, and the E is for Egged. Is that Corey Schneider's music? Lewis, how are you doing? <laughs> Did you say Egged? I said Egged, yes. <laughs> Did I say, uh, is that how it's said in Canada? I always, I always thought it was Egad. Egad. I don't know. Maybe this is me showing off that I've been reading uh, Mr. Weatherby dialogue in my head like a lunatic. <laughs> I'm probably wrong. I almost want to look it up now. The E is uh, for Egad, then, Lewis. How does that make you feel? Are you are you buying into the Corey Schneider renaissance now that I've placated your need for me to, to pronounce that E? Okay, well, now that we have figured out or not figured out how to pronounce this archaic word, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not into it. Um, I, I, I have been fooled by Corey Schneider one too many times, uh, and I really feel like, you know, they've got a good thing here with Blackwood, and it would be wild of them, I think, to, to try and go out there and potentially make a trade. I know that we were all trying to figure out, you know, what the deal was with this call-up, but... I have a hard time believing that it involves Blackwood leaving town unless the price is just crazy high, right? No, I think Blackwood is clearly finding his footing right now in a way that's similar to what he did around this time last year. So I, if you have Blackwood, I'm holding for sure right now. I think Demang is on his way out. That's that's clearly what's happening here. And there was a report. I don't know how verifiable this is. It could just be a rumor, but someone was saying that he had been traded today. He's also on waivers. So, I mean, yes, nothing's happening with Blackwood. Uh, I'm just giving you a hard time because of your, your well, well renowned feelings for Corey Schneider. Yes, I am a known lover of Corey Schneider, but I think my heart has been broken enough times that I can, I can finally start to ignore him. You know, you reach that point of closure where you're like, I can't hurt myself anymore with this. That's, that's where I'm at right now. Absolutely. And so we are going to jump right into a goaltender that I know you are ready to love. And that's, the goalie that I hope everyone is ready to love because Igor Shostyrkin is back from injury and man, oh man, is he impressive. Another 920 plus save percentage that actually dragged down his season average. In addition, Tony D'Angelo comes back for the Rangers. Nice to see these two, you know, fantasy nothings preseason who have now become must-haves if they're available on your waiver wire at this point. Yeah, hard to imagine that anyone didn't keep them on their waiver wire or on their injured reserve unless their team was just overflowing with injuries, which may very well have been the case because we've hardly been able to do a show lately without talking about this major injury or that one. Uh, obviously, if they're available, go out and grab them. 
If they are already on your team, get them in the lineup. Shjorkin has been especially excellent in leagues that count or award points for saves since he's faced at least 40 shots in his last three games. Uh, and unlike a lot of the other goalies that are clunking around the league right now, he is able to stop many of those shots. So, uh, And with the Rangers offense capable of going off, is it starting to get to the point where you're a little bit nervous about starting your goalie against the Rangers regardless of how good they are? I mean, I think the Rangers offense, they've been pretty good through it. That's been the consistent side of things. What we haven't seen with the Rangers until this back half of the season is acceptable goaltending performances. I don't knock Georgiev and Lundqvist too hard for that, given my, you know, I've been a noted critic of the Rangers blue line for quite a while, but they don't seem to bother Shostyorkin, and I'm sure that the Rangers are happy to ride him as long as he can. I mean, despite this recent hot streak for the Rangers, though, they still have, according to The Athletic, a 4% probability of making the playoffs. So it's tough to get my hopes up too high, but that's where we're at. Maybe we'll have a little bit more information on Monday after the trade deadline when we'll find out the fate of Chris Kreider. Yeah, let's talk about Kreider for a second here, but I also want to point out to our listeners that our next episode will be a little bit off of the regular schedule. We're going to be coming at you on Tuesday morning instead of our regular Wednesday morning uh, so that we can give you all the details from the trade deadline. Hopefully it will not be another kind of snoozer trade deadline like we've had in the past where everything is done you know, for the Sunday show to take a look at, but we are aiming to jump in on Monday night and give you all the updates once that trade deadline comes to us close. And I think if that does happen, it's cool if we just do a normal Tuesday night show, right? Like I don't think anyone would be anyone would be mad at us if we if if the biggest deal that day is, you know, Wayne Simmons to Vancouver, I don't think that people will uh will knock down our doors because we don't have an episode. Let's have them follow us on Twitter at AVG Time on Ice, and they can get all the updates about what our intentions are regarding that show. But if it is an interesting Monday at all, I think we'll try to jump on the air and try to get some fantasy details in your earbuds as early as we can. Great point. Lewis, the other thing I do want to mention while we're on the topic of, you know, breaking the the illusion, going a little bit inside baseball on the show... I apologize to our listeners who downloaded last week's episode and it shut off abruptly mid Toronto Maple Leafs talk. That's on me. I had a technological mistake and uh, there is now an updated version with an extra four minutes on the end where I talk about how maybe Jack Campbell could be a high upside stash. That talk has been sincerely nerfed since, so maybe it's a blessing in disguise that people didn't get to hear my overly eager take on Jack Campbell after we just saw Frederick Anderson nail down the shutout against the Pens tonight. I would imagine he gets the next start for the Leafs. Yeah, you'd have to think so. And you know what? Those Tuesday uh, night episodes are always uh, so quality, so don't beat yourself up about it too much. We all make mistakes, bud. Thank you very much. Lewis is referring, of course, to our editing schedule. I handle the Tuesdays. Lewis handles the Thursdays. Enough behind-the-curtain stuff. Let's move on. And we're going to move right back into Toronto, where you can tell that this is not a heavy headline show, because our second heavy-hidden news piece is Dennis Mulligan traded to Toronto in exchange for Mason Marchment. Mulligan, I don't think we would have mentioned this, Lewis, except for Mulligan starts out his Leafs career on line two with John Tavares and Willie Nylander. Is is Mulligan streamable in this spot? You know, I think uh, this is certainly a position where it would be interesting to be able to take a look at him. Obviously, not hitting the score sheet 
this evening here on Thursday night with a 4 nothing win against Pittsburgh. So that's a little disconcerting to see that he is on that line, but not making a whole lot happen when we did see Tavares and Nylander on the score sheet. So, um, you know, I think it is a fine spot for him if he maintains it, which is no guarantee. You might think about streaming him in if you're just looking to, you know, scratch off a winning lottery ticket, but I'm not super excited about it. One thing I will say is he has great flexibility with that center left wing, right wing positional eligibility. So he is an easy guy to fit into your lineup if you decide that it is worth uh, taking the plunge. Hey, you love to see that. I call it Clue What do you think about that as a term for C-L-W-R-W? Clue I like it. I wonder if we can find something in the streamagami vein, you know, to refer to that level of flexibility that we really love. But yeah, let's go with Clue for a minute here. <laughs> I am... I'm waiting for the world to be caught on fire by the uh, accessibility of this nickname that I've I've only ever said in my head before now. Much like Egged. <laughs> uh, we A will move on. To- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, we'll move slightly east and talk about the Montreal Canadiens next, where they are suddenly relatively healthy. We mentioned the return of Weber the other day. Brendan Gallagher back after a quick one-game absence. And it looks like, Lewis, the Montreal Canadiens are rolling out a very familiar equalized top power play and secondary power play unit. Yeah, it's more of the same from what we're used to seeing now from Montreal. It looked like we had uh, Gallagher out there with Petrie, Cousins, Suzuki, and Tatar. Uh, yeah, obviously great to get Gallagher in. Uh, he scored in their win against Washington. The more interesting thing I think to take out of that was we had a couple players who we had been hoping to step up in the absence of some injured folks. Lars Eller for Washington, who got some improved deployment with Kuznetsov injured. Now with Kuznetsov back, Eller scored. Uh, with his usual line mates of Panic and Hagelin. And then for Montreal, we had been waiting for Ben Sherratt to get some of that extra shine from some power play deployment in Weber's absence. He did very little, but put up two goals this evening. So probably a lot of uh, fantasy points out there on the waiver wire for a couple guys who would have been dropped as their injury, the folks that they were replacing on the injury line uh, were were back out there. But good for them for you know, being back in their familiar spots and making something happen. This is one of those process over results type of things where like sometimes you're doing the right thing by dropping a player who loses their good deployment and it still doesn't matter. They end up going off in the next game. Don't beat yourself up over things like that. You know, you're still doing the right thing long term. They're not likely to be these monsters with bad deployment. It's, you know, you gotta, you gotta, Put your head down and just keep powering through. There's going to be some nights like this where where the guys you drop end up going off and the guys you hold on to don't really do too much. That's a really good point. You got to self-care during the fantasy hockey season, especially here in the stretch run when things get really stressful. So, Lewis, one goalie battle that I wanted to mention before we get into the uh, secondary segments of our show tonight Martin Jones appears to be putting up a bit of a fight in the San Jose crease between himself and Aaron Dell. He gets off with a two goal against performance against the Devils after a shutout earlier this week. Aaron Dell, not impressive in his midweek performance. Are we dropping Dell for Jones at this point? Where are you on this back and forth? So I don't know that I necessarily love the idea of picking up Jones, but I did drop Dell in order to get Shostjorkin back in play. So I think uh, certainly 
Dell likely only to get a game this week and probably uh, looking at maybe a one in three at best until Jones starts to struggle, which of course could happen at any time. I do worry that just in general that the Sharks are a team that maybe we should be starting to avoid at this point uh, as their season starts to fall apart a little bit. I think that it is a dangerous proposition to potentially play some of these goalies, although they are out in the Pacific, which is generally a lower scoring division, which can help. But yeah, I, Jones, I think is certainly interesting. You know, pick him up if you need some starts because he, I think, has taken that 1A torch back from Aaron Dell. But be cautious. Uh, don't, don't expect too much because the Sharks are a team that is in a bit of a downward spiral here. Uh, this is a team that, you know, Jones put up a decent game and yet they still lost to New Jersey. So not a team that I think you can put a whole lot of faith in to, to get wins game in and game out. Yeah, my take on Jones is just going to be like, if you're in a league where Craig Anderson is useful, if for his starts, then Martin Jones is useful. I had a bit of a, I, I was willing to give Aaron Dell a shot just because, you know, with the new coach, the thought of him possibly turning over a new leaf and his hot streak seemed like maybe it was something that he could sustain. But if they're going to be happy to give the starts back and forth and try and stoke a bit of a 1A, 1B, I'm happy leaving both of them on the waiver wire. There's nothing to see here, folks. And with that, I'm happy to move on. Lewis, the one question I wanted to ask you, of course, we're going to get to our patron five tonight. Every week, we ask the patrons of the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook page to rank five players or storylines they want us to deep dive. We will get to that. But before we do, a little bit of a pre-trade deadline preview. I was wondering, are there any players that you're watching in particular, any destinations or any, any players you're hoping are going to get moved on Monday? So a few players I think to keep an eye on uh, include J.G. Pajot in Ottawa, uh, Chris Kreider in New York, and Tyson Berry in Toronto. You know, we saw Berry obviously uh, fetched quite the price in the offseason. This year hasn't panned out quite exactly the way you wanted, although it did pan out the way a lot of people sort of predicted he would be. Um, so that could be interesting if he can find himself in a spot where he is an undisputed uh, power play number one. Of course, he's enjoying a lot of that time with Morgan Riley on the shelf with injury. So I don't know how much better it can get for him. That's sort of the theme here is that these are guys who are getting some very nice deployment who, if they were to be traded, I think are going to end up in spots where it's unlikely for them to have a whole lot more value than they have now, which often is the case, I think, with some of these trades outside of, say, a Jason Zucker heading to Pittsburgh to play on Sidney Crosby's wing. Um, Kreider, especially, if you know, you were talking about other places where I hope these players end up. I am at the point where I kind of want to see Kreider stick around and re-sign in New York. He's been such a beast for them. Certainly has been pumping up his value, whether it is how many picks it takes to pry him away from the Rangers or how much he's able to sign for uh, if they decide to keep him around and try to get him back in New York for another season. So it's been it's been nice as a Shostorkin owner to, to have him around. And he's been tapping in some Tony D'Angelo passes for me, too. So uh, I love that, and I would love to keep him around for fantasy purposes. Um, but certainly he could end up in a place like Colorado, uh, maybe on a second line there, or even potentially on the top line with Ranton and Injured, uh, and could be a really prized piece down the line. Peugeot I'm a little less enthused about. Um, but could definitely maybe, again, Colorado comes up as as maybe a second-line center with Kadri out, uh, where Peugeot could be kind of interesting, but I don't think he'll get the kind of deployment or results that he's seeing in Ottawa right now. 
Yeah, I think as a Rangers fan, obviously, if they trade him at this point, they better be getting a haul just because of how good he's been the last, I don't know, 20, 30 games. The past few years, we've kind of seen the returns for these rental players diminish. And I think at this point, just the way he's been playing, what are you going to trade him for for the same thing that Taylor Hall gets? But maybe that's the hype of the trade deadline. And if so, I think that the Rangers would be well suited to trade him. But as a fantasy owner, I don't think that going anywhere, he's going to be able to do what he's doing right now. That's the Banajad and Buchnevich line is just clicking at such a high rate. And I mean, even if he were to go to Colorado, he plays on the left side, right? So it's either him or Landeskog on that top unit. I'm not sure that he represents a boost over there. This might end up messing with Eunice Donskoy if that were to happen. But this is all down the path of speculation in a way that I'm not sure is worth actually, you know, getting into specifics. I'm kind of with you that these these are guys who I like them a little bit more where they are right now. Uh, Jason Zucker obviously went from the doghouse in Minnesota to having a legitimate deployment. Same with uh, Tyler Toffoli goes from a top line in LA to a much better top line, top power play situation in Vance. So I'm not sure that we see that anywhere here. Maybe Chris Kreider, depending on where he lines up. But of course, we will talk about this on Monday. For now, let's hop right into the Patron 5. As I mentioned, these are five deep dives answering questions or player analysis asked by our patrons. And Lewis, you are going to start us off this week. All right, so we are going to start down at number five. Uh, this is a question on some Colorado depth defensemen. Zadorov, Cole, and Johnson rank the Colorado peripheral D-men. Uh, so, you know, where I started was with peripherals, guys, an easy way to differentiate is playing time, right? If you have more time, you're out there for more hits, more blocks. Uh, recently, however, all three of these guys have been in the same region deployment wise with none of them topping 20 minutes over the four games during the last week uh, with the only real outlier being a 12 minute game for Zadorov on February 17th none of them are getting a sniff of power time with Makar power play time I should say with Makar and Girard uh, having those positions on lockdown so that doesn't really come into play here for the season average for playing time Johnson leads but he's been playing a little bit below his 90 minute average while Cole has been recently playing about 90 seconds above his average of 1743 Zadorov is around average most nights but seems to get into the doghouse for some sub 15 minute games here and there those inconsistent minutes and lack of shooting relative to the others is enough to make him an easy third place for me uh, and I'm going to put Johnson in second for two reasons. First, Cole is shooting more consistently. He's only got one shotless game in the last 10, whereas Johnson has three. And he has four games with three or more shots in that same span to Johnson's two. Uh, finally, Cole gets that top spot because he's just been much more productive this season. Uh, yes, he does have six additional games on Johnson, but that doesn't fully explain the 14-point advantage that Cole ho- holds, 24 points to just 10. Cole is basically giving you everything that Johnson has to offer with two and a half times the points to boot now on a given night is that necessarily going to play out that way no but i think uh, i feel pretty safe ranking them cole johnson zadorov in that order if you're looking to pick up the bangers from colorado you make a great point this is all about time on ice for the most part a valuable tool that I will recommend for folks is the naturalstatric.com uh, player page. If you look at individual performance on Natural Statric, you can actually see rate stats for blocks, hits, shots, uh, power, pl- uh, sorry, penalty minutes, 
pretty much any of the peripheral categories. So I would recommend checking that out and then looking into the overall time on ice. And then that's a great way to differentiate between these players. Of course, I would have to imagine that this question is coming up because of the Colorado excellent first week of the playoffs schedule. They have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday schedule, and that's excellent. Absent from this list, of course, I assume because of his his uh, ownership rate, would be Ryan Graves, but he's obviously the number one uh, if you're referring strictly to Colorado peripheral defensemen, right? Yeah, I think we're talking about folks who are you know, a little more widely available on the waiver wire. Some real, real depth here just to get in and maybe win some hits and blocks categories in that first week of the playoffs um, by stealing away with the streamagami. All right. Well, Lewis, we have kind of an interesting patron five this week. I, I noticed when I was looking at the, the poll options, typically we get just single players and, and then we go in deep based on that. But this week we had a lot of like straight up questions or, or comparative questions. And I guess maybe that's a result of the playoffs coming up close. So having said that, I will get to the next player, the next two players on our list. Elon Dabrowski, host of the Keep and Carlson podcast asks, Darnell Nurse versus Jakob Slavin. Of course, these two players are comparable mainly because of injuries to other players. Oscar Clefbaum and Dougie Hamilton went out for a few weeks with Clefbaum, the rest of the season with Hamilton, which gave both Nurse and Slavin power play one opportunities for their respective teams. Elon and I kind of got into this on Twitter earlier this week. I was on Nurse's side, my reasoning being that before they got the power play one treatment, they were both at similar point paces, but Nurse maxes out your peripheral upside, which gives him the, the edge to me. So I think we both agree Elon and I in the end that this could swing either way of course right like defenseman point production can be so random since they're not usually driving the offensive play and then when you're on the power play sometimes teams go on these cold streaks sometimes they go on hot streaks it's so random depending on their power play opportunities so to me I would lean nurse but I definitely concede Elon's point on Twitter this could go either way but I thought Lewis this was an interesting option because I wanted to get you and your take on this one typically with the patron five you you give one opinion I give the next but I want to know are you on my side with Darnell Nurse or do you defer to Elon and say you would rather have Jacob's, Jakob Slavin at this point? Oh, bud, you know, you got to know that I'm going to end up on your side on this debate. Darnell Nurse was a top 100 player uh, in the Cupful before he got onto Power Play 1. I just see him as being uh, a much more valuable option. I was actually surprised to see the similar ownership rates on Yahoo uh, with Slavin having uh, 65% ownership and Nurse at 70. But yeah, just the floor that those hits and blocks are going to give you. You know, Nurse has as many hits as he has shots this season, and he has more shots and way more hits than Slavin does. It just gives you a nice floor to work from. If you're in a scoring-only league, uh, like you said, kind of a coin flip here. Um, but I kind of like what that Edmonton power play has been doing. I know it is lacking Connor McDavid, but guess what? If that injury to Clefbaum is indeed three weeks and Connor is able to get back in two or three weeks, that means there's going to be some significant time on that top power play with McDavid too for Nurse. I just think the upside is a little more tantalizing there. Well, and it also sounds like McDavid could be back this week, right? So if that's the case, then you're you're really excited to have Darnell Nurse. Oh, I hadn't seen that, but that's great news. 
Yeah. Um, I think the one, the one caveat with Darnell Nurse would be whether or not Evan Bouchard gets a meaningful look on that top power play unit. He was called up earlier in the week. We kind of discussed him on the Tuesday show. And that's, that does throw a bit of a wrench into the gears if he were to get onto the top unit. I do just want to say, you know, we're about to move on to another player. Elon did specify. He's not 100% either on Slavin. He thinks it could go either way as well. So, shouts out Elon. Shouts out Lewis. Let's move on to the next player. Well, just quickly, I, I, I am celebrating McDavid's return, and then I realize that my opponent, who is laying into me in Kakuffle this week, has McDavid on the IR. So maybe if he can hold off until Monday, that would be super. Well, if you're getting uh, smoked already, then is it really that big a deal? Well, I, I'm always there's always a chance, right? I'm hanging around. I'm within 30 points now, so I'm feeling a little bit better. But uh, it's not the 50-point deficit it was before. But if McDavid comes back, I think I'm toast. God, I was feeling dire down six points in my couple matchup. But I should probably have a little bit more optimism then. This is uh, this is some serious first-world problems from you, Ben. And I don't want to hear it right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> For you know, I think we're both in very strong position to make the playoffs in our respective leagues. Congratulations, by the way, on clinching the playoffs uh, in your Cupful division. Who me? Yeah, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I, I'm being fake modest. <laughs> I see. You rest in peace there for a minute. It rest in peace, well. Harris Whittles, the inventor of the humble brag. <laughs> All right, let's get into the next guy here. This is actually our only single-player question, I believe. Oh, no, we've got one other. Um, so this question was about Ilya Kovalchuk's value moving forward in Montreal and elsewhere. Uh, Kovalchuk has been, before uh, tonight's game here on Thursday night, on a five-game pointless skid, and he has seen his playing time plummet from 21-36 on February 10th to just 15-38 on the 18th. Uh, Kovi has kept shooting over this span. He put up 18 shots over those five games. So if he scored at a typical rate for the season, he'd have a couple goals in there to ease the pain. Uh, but the collapse in ice time is really concerning because I think a lot of the Kovalchuk hype in Montreal was about his prime deployment and really the result of his prime deployment because most of his underlying numbers have remained more or less the same in the Montreal to, or the LA to Montreal transition. Kovalchuk's even strength, goals per 60, assists per 60, and individual expected goals are nearly indistinguishable from his rates that he was putting up in LA. And while he's shooting a little more in Montreal, his shooting percentage is dropped, as has his even strength IPP. Uh, the benefit has been three additional minutes of even strength ice per game in Montreal that's helping him boost his numbers despite having his rates remain more or less the same. But if he's going to continue playing only 15 minutes a night, that advantage is going to disappear and do so quickly. Uh, on the power play, Kovi is actually performing worse in Montreal with his power play assist rate halved, his shots on goal per 60 dropping from 17.27 to 10.69 on the power play in Montreal, and his goals per 60 has remained the same. Uh, so I feel like the shine is off Kovalchuk a little bit in Montreal, and it's unlikely that he'd get anything better than middle six deployment if he's traded. Uh, might be worth it to see if they put him back on the top line and his minutes can rebound a little bit, but I would not get too attached. I think the window on, you know, flipping Kovi for some improvement uh, is over, uh, and he may be waiver wire fodder for you before too long. 
I mean, the big thing with Kovalchuk and his his breakout upon arriving in Montreal was for sure that Brendan Gallagher was injured for a few weeks, and so he had that top-line deployment. I definitely do not see him usurping Brendan Gallagher at any point over the rest of the year. So he's going to have to be productive from the middle six, and I would be shocked to see him, you know, I think at the time we were saying, yeah, maybe 60 points moving forward. It's been a bit of a dip from there, but, you know, I think that, yeah, this is kind of what you should expect moving forward, and hopefully you didn't buy too high when the hype when the hype kind of popped up. All right, well, Lewis, I'm going to move on to the next portion of our patron five. This is a player we could have talked about on Tuesday, having just been traded from New Jersey to Tampa Bay, but it didn't quite make the cut on Tuesday. Our patrons wanted to know a little bit more about him tonight. So Ryan S. asked, is Blake Coleman droppable on Tampa's third line with no power play time? This is based the Tampa game against Vegas tonight. I don't believe has started yet, or if it has, it's early in the first. But this is based on reports from the practice today. You know, it's difficult to deep dive on Coleman, given that, you know, things have completely changed for him. He's on a totally different team, new line mates, new deployment, and we haven't seen a minute yet. So I think if Coleman has been valuable to you this far into the season, I don't see why you would rush to drop him off the strength of one practice, right? It's a bummer he's not seeing power play time, but he still wasn't seeing any of the power play time in New Jersey for the majority of the season anyway. So despite all of that, he's still ranked 54th in the Cupful. So while this may not wind up working out, I do find it difficult to cut bait without waiting for at least three games to shake out. And specifically, what I think you're looking for over the next couple games is shot rate and ice time. You know, if he's getting third line minutes, like 13 minutes a night, and he's not really shooting for those games, then yes, he starts to become droppable. But for now, I think it's way too early to cut bait. There was a follow-up question from patron Kevin H., and he asked, how would we rank the flavor of the week types versus Coleman? The three players he listed were Yamamoto, Jason Zucker, and Toffoli. And I think Yams and Toffoli are more valuable in leagues that value scoring for sure, right? Like you're looking at guys who are getting top line, top power play, deployment on teams that can score. So yes, I'm good with Yamamoto and Toffoli over Coleman for sure. Jason Zucker did not see any time on the Pens first power play tonight with Malkin back. I know that this isn't a question specifically about Zucker, but this kind of got me thinking, I might see if I could start to sell high based on the hype around Jason Zucker right now. Scott Cullen on Sunday's show with Elon said he thinks that he could be a point per game player moving forward. That strikes me a little high, and I think I might try and see if I can cash in on that hype. So if you can turn Jason Zucker into a 70-plus point player before people kind of realize, you know, this is somebody who scored two goals off of very, very broken down uh, defenses against Montreal last week, and I don't, I just don't know that I'm buying it. You know, we've seen a line blender frequently in Pittsburgh under Coach Sullivan. So, you know, if Jason Zucker were to drop down to line three in Pittsburgh and he's on power play two, is he rosterable in fantasy? I would say no. So I'm I'm interested in selling high on Jason Zucker if I can get somebody who can put up 70 points or more. Otherwise, I'm still comfortable saying a 60-point pace for Jason Zucker moving forward. 
Yeah, I think 70-point player is a no-brainer if you can flip Zucker with this excitement over his trade, especially if he's missing out on that power play time. Uh, and I like what you had for Coleman, too. I was feeling very much the same way when we talked about it a little bit earlier. Just this this feeling that, you know, yeah, it's not ideal deployment, but that's sort of Coleman's calling card, right? Is that he is getting you great fantasy points from these sort of underdog positions where maybe he's scoring shorthanded goals or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, just putting up points in, in those reduced minute games. So give him a shot, I think, to prove that he can do that in an even more scoring friendly environment in Tampa Bay before you think about cutting bait. Yeah, I said this on the fa- on the Facebook group today, but, you know, the penalty kill is really Blake Coleman's power play. <laughs> I love it. So our last question is not about a specific player, but it is an interesting question. And I think it is a valuable sort of meta question for our listeners to consider, especially because the folks who tend to be more tuned into the games are frequently the managers of the leagues. So this was a question about what are some strategies for keeping eliminated redraft owners engaged in the games? And I've got some ideas down here. And if you've got something to add, feel free to jump in. Uh, so I sort of thought about this, you know, with the psychological carrot and the stick approach, like how can we punish redraft owners who are not starting their lines and are totally checked out? And what are some things we can do to give some positive incentives to them to help them stick around? So I'll start with the stick options. And this is something that I have done in the past and has worked you know, about half the time, and I think about half the time I lose the GM and have to replace them. And that is, you know, providing some kind of penalty for failure to set lines. Um, you know, whether that is, uh, having them come in and pay a higher fee next season or, uh, make them ineligible at their draft position. Like you can tank with players on your roster, but those players need to be hitting the ice. Like the Red Wings can't go out and just not send out players to to go up against their opponent during their tank right they have to have players who are actually out there and you know making an attempt so i do feel like they can really blow the matches because if you you know have are in a tight playoff race and you're up against a third place team and the person you know nipping at your heels is just blowing some person with a bench full of skaters out of the water that really sucks so that stick option i think can be important um and then you know if you're in fan tracks or those kind of leagues i hate to set uh, the the people running the leagues, the commissioners to have to do this, but you can manually set it in a lot of these leagues. I think it's easiest on fan tracks in my experience, but it can be done, I believe, in Yahoo as well. Let's talk about some carrot options because those are a little more appealing. I, in the past, have done a consolation bracket with some kind of minor prize. Uh, you could do a consolation bracket where the teams that don't make it face off against each other to get their draft position. Um, so the draft doesn't just automatically go to the person with the lowest score. Actually, there is a benefit to having a decent team during the consolation playoffs. One of the problems that is, is that sometimes those eliminated teams are making moves on the waiver wire when the teams that are actually competing for the champion are trying to get out there and could benefit from those players. So something to look out for. Uh, you could also have kind of like a side bet for the consolation bracket, uh, which can be kind of fun. So just give people a chance to win, you know, 25 bucks if they can beat all the other scrub teams in the league in this consolation playoff. So that can be kind of fun. Other kinds of side bets you can have for the non-playoff teams might be who, you know, kind of a roto setup, you know, who can get the most goals, who can get the most goalie wins or shutouts. So those are some options also. The other thing too is, you know, part of the the nature of redrafts is that you just kind of have to accept that sometimes those owners are going to be disengaged. 
so considering maybe introducing some limited keeper options, even if it is rookies or just a couple players off the top, so that there is some thinking about the future that's going on and so that uh, you can have those draft pick trades uh, either at the trade deadline in your league or during the off season. I think those are great ways to kind of spice your league up and make it interesting. If I think trades are really hard to pull off in redraft leagues because everyone is after the same thing. Whereas even in a limited keeper, there may be just some different goals set up for teams that are trying to rebuild, or maybe they've got one great player and a bunch of crud. So maybe if they can trade that great player and get some nice picks, they can have a better draft and an improved team the next season. So just thinking about the possibility of opening the door towards keeper dumb um, just because I think it makes trading much more interesting and that's a good way to help keep people engaged as well I'm actually mostly against incentivizing uh, adding for players who are are mostly out of redraft leagues the reason just being that I think that when they show up like when a team in 13th shows up and starts adding backup goaltenders or whatever it is that it really could affect the teams that are going to make it far into the playoffs and I want to see a best on best in the playoffs more than I care about seeing 14 teams battling it out until the the end of week 21 my one piece of advice for this I, I i will say i do kind of like your stick option of maybe finding some type of penalty for a failure to set lines because i, I think that that is the bare minimum right at least you should be popping into yahoo once a week and pressing that start active players button but the one thing that i would suggest that could keep rosters or keep managers active until the last week of the season just join the cuckupful it's the best and it you know you you prioritize your final season position because it determines whether you're relegated or whether you're promoted the cupful is the answer to this because there is such an incentive to pushing forward into the playoffs whether or not you're going to make it if you're if you're in those relegation playoffs same deal so that's where i'm at join the cupful and then you will be incentivized to play every single week of the season absolutely there are very few leagues where you see the you know the the 10th through 14th teams in like a dire knife fight right to the end trying to hold on to their spot because you know what other league are you going to be able to join that has you know five humongous tiers of leagues with tons and tons of teams uh, duking it out every week you're absolutely right all right lewis that's all we have for you tonight from myself ben burnett i am signing out why don't you take us home all right, and thanks as always for listening. Please give us a follow at AVG Time on Ice. You can follow Brian and Elon at Keeping Carlson. You can join the patron group at keepingcarlson.com slash patron and get yourself in position to have a nice spot in the cupful next year where you never have to worry what position you're in because it's always worth having the fight. Uh, and until we see you next after the trade deadline, make sure that you play smart and keep your shifts short. <laughs>